Hello, everyone. Once again, I'm Alan, bringing you this latest episode of the Talks at Google podcast, this time with New York Times bestselling author Sloane Crosley. Talks at Google brings the world's most influential thinkers, creators, makers, and doers all to one place. Every episode of this podcast is taken from a video that can be seen at youtube.com slash talks at Google. In this talk, Sloane discusses Look Alive Out There, a brand new collection of essays filled with her trademark hilarity, wit, and charm. The characteristic heart and punch-packing observations are back, but with a newfound coat of maturity. Sloan gives an inside look into how she writes her stories, which includes scaling active volcanoes, crashing shivas, befriending swingers, and squinting down the barrel of a fertility gun. Moderated by Googler Megan Green, here is Sloan Crosley. Look alive out there. So Sloan, you actually did the what we think is the third talk at Google ever. Oh, really? About you like carbon dated? Uh, <laughs> we carbon dated it. It was uh, twenty eighteen or two thousand and eight. Mm-hmm. So it was eleven years ago. Yeah. Um, what did you think of going to California and doing that first talk? What, yeah. And what's what's changed? What, it was what's on different? the Mountain View campus. Um, there were no like. There's a very fancy clock in front of us. There's a lot of like <laughs> you know the, the tech is more sophisticated, yeah. which you'd think even in 2008 for Google it would have been. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like oh, I just sat down and started trashing my hosts. Um, <laughs> no, but it was great actually because I, I you know I came from a corporate world where I worked for Random House, which is very much um, not too far from what you see of, of like publishing portrayals in the movies of, you know, sort of dusty old desks and like piles of mm-hmm. petrified rubber bands and manuscripts. And, you know, to go to this place where it just, it felt like the giant world in Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> it was just incredible. And um, there was so much free water of, <laughs> not that what, but like different kinds of flavors of water. Um, but yeah, it was a really nice audience, and it was just like it was—it was a long time ago, but it was sunny. And were you still—you were still working in corporate America at that I time? I was still working. Yeah, maybe and, that's and, why and I was over-impressed by the—you know—that that's what I noticed more than the experience of the reading was sort of like all the like different sort of trappings were so much more trapping-y than at Random House. Fair enough. We do have good trappings. Yes, you do. Uh, when you started, did you, you ha- you've done a lot of journalism, did you intend to become a memoir and short story writer? Was that always sort of where you thought your roots really lied? You've obviously done novels, mm-hmm. but you keep coming back to this format. You know, I, I think when I started, my I always wanted to write fiction, um, and then I sort of... Um, you know, I often say uh, that I fell backwards into nonfiction, which I should really stop saying because it sounds very like, oh, this old thing. Like, (laughs) (laughs) it requires effort. (laughs) Um, But uh, it is a format I sort of uh, gravitate towards Mm because it's it's, uh, close to how I see the world. I think heavily in analogy is I, um, but I don't think of it as a memoir. It's not really, um, I think of them as sort of, you know, humor pieces or essays and not really stories about myself, even though they, of course, are. And what's it like now, a year later, the book's been out for a year, um, what's it like promoting the paperback as opposed to the hardcover and having lived with it for a year? What's it like the second... (laughs) Lightweight? What's it like the second time around? (laughs) Um, You know, it is a little... Yeah, I guess, are you driving? Is it it like, play free bird? (laughs) (laughs) You're sort of sick of it. Um, No, it's actually great because the thing is, in between, I have been working on other things. You know, I do a little bit of journalism, um, travel writing, as well as a, a novel I'm working on now. Um, so it's actually uh, great to remember that 
I can do this, this can be done, it can be bound and sold, and it will happen again, because no matter mm. how successful you get, I think part of the health of that is forgetting that anyone would want to read something and having to prove yourself again. Mm -hmm. um, so it is a nice little, like, almost lily pad to land on and think, oh, that's right, I did do this. <laughs> I remember these yeah. stories. Um, so I really love female humorists, and we just talked about the fact that yeah. um, you inject a lot of humor into these essays. And a lot of the books that you see sort of on shelves that are female humor-driven are the Tina Fey's and Amy Poehler's of the world, people who are entertainers first. Mm -hmm. What's it like approaching it as a writer first? And then would you ever think to say, well, I'm actually going to dive into their world and do a little bit more entertainment because... Like, I mean, I, I try to entertain the people. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I know what you're saying. I don't, I mean, I think... It's almost um, not really an artistic distinction to me, but a marketing distinction, you know, where they have a platform or whatever it is ahead of time um, that people are gonna buy their books. Um, and the people you mentioned also happen to be fantastic writers, but there are other people who aren't as strong. Right. Um, but, you know, it seems to be this sort of trendy thing to, to whip up a book of essays. Um, and I, to that, I would just say it's harder than it looks. And similarly, I'm sure being an entertainer or being a stand-up comedian is a lot harder than it looks, or maybe exactly as hard as it looks. It looks hard. But um, I feel like uh, I don't really feel compelled to sort of dip my toe into, into that world that much, and I'm very happy with where I come from, which is a tradition that's sort of more influenced by um, Nora Ephron, Joseph Mitchell, Dorothy Parker, that kind of thing. That's awesome. So who else is an influence to you and what else are you sort of reading these days? Like, Oh, um, well, I just finished it. So I always read these like dark, terrible things. And it's funny, if you ask like David Sedaris, he'll say the same thing. He's like always reading about like the Holocaust and taxidermy, you know? It's very weird, not together. Oh my God, that's a horrible joke. Um, but I guess what I'm saying is like, I just finished reading um, Giving Up the Ghost, which is a memoir by Hilary Mantel who wrote Wolf Hall. Um, and it's fantastic, but very dark. Um, and I tend to read that kind of stuff. But in terms of who I look to, often it'll be short story writers. Mm. I think that, like, you know, we have this concept that obviously for narrative nonfiction, we want to keep it pure and you want to tell the truth. And of course, that is true. But the techniques you use to tell these stories are not so far off from fiction techniques. Mm. You know, there's only so many ways to say, you know, I sat, she sat in the chair, right? That's going to look the same, um, whether you're making it up or telling the truth. Yeah. And so I do tend to look towards, I love um, Laurie Moore as a favorite, yes. an idol of mine. Um, and then, I don't know, I mean, all of them? All of them. <laughs> all of them a good answer? Okay, go ahead. Laurie Moore is a good answer. <laughs> okay. So we'll look back. <laughs> How do you think you've changed, your writing's changed since the first two collections of stories? What's evolved for you? Yeah, it's funny. Um, I hope that there's been an evolution, you know, but in a way it's almost, I, I'm not really in a position to see it. It's almost not mine to answer in a weird way because it's the same thing as like, you know, you get a haircut and someone hasn't seen you in a while and you're like, I guess, yeah, I guess this is, or, you know, I guess I have gained or lost weight or I'm taller, I'm not taller, but <laughs> that would be weird. Um, but, you know, so I don't see it um, as these sort of like giant shifts uh, the way it might look from the outside, but I will say it's probably a similar tone that I've always had, just probably focused on slightly more complex topics um, just to keep myself interested. Fair enough. You have to keep yourself interested, you right? Entertain yourself. No, it's true. I feel like um, I will uh, 
sometimes pull out a random page. And the worst thing you can do as a, as a writer, this is like a horrible tip and it's really masochistic, but I pull out a page of a manuscript or I, a chapter and I imagine the smartest person I know who doesn't like me <laughs> reading it. <laughs> and if I could sort of imagine that person laughing or appreciating it anyway, then I'm like, okay, it's good. That's a good technique. Yeah, it's awful in the moment. Um, to imagine that. But do you it does know these work. people who don't like you? Do I you? mean, I, I, don't, I can guess. <laughs> I, we live in the world, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I can't imagine that many people who don't like you. Oh, thanks, Mom. How do you, <laughs> how do you determine, I mean, I'm sure part of it is with these story collections, or it's a matter of time, right? You're collecting them over time. Right. But how do you decide what makes the cut, and how do you decide what the thread is between these stories, and what ends up on the chopping block, and do they get saved for later, or do they get tossed away. They get repurposed, yeah. yeah. It's like the Inuit, do I use like every part of the whale? Yeah. <laughs> you can make a candle out of this bone um, someday. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, you know, not most essays, there's very few essays I've ever written that are, were written for one of these books. And I, I work a little differently than other essays who tend to publish long format stuff in magazines and then collect them. Most of the stuff I publish on the regular doesn't go into mm. the books. The stuff is written for the books. So therefore, very little is getting cut because it was always meant to go you know, where it goes. The stuff that gets cut is when I feel that um, I'm just complaining, which is a real danger for a person. <laughs> It you is. know, like I once read a, you know, I mean, this is years ago, but in probably back when I was like, you know, fresh from Mountain View, um, I wrote, you know, an essay about getting a parking ticket. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, who cares? <laughs> Nobody is the answer. You know, and if there's not that universality, if there's not some sort of um, like tentacle that's reaching out to other people's experience, then it, it's sort of a dud. So that stuff, generally I'll save like a funny line and then everything goes. We've all gotten parking tickets. I mean, yeah, but nobody, but nobody cares about your parking ticket either, you know, and I mean that in the nicest way possible. But, no, seriously, unless it was something about, um, you know, you can imagine it being about some sort of larger frustrating experience or like something about living in an urban center. Or I'm just trying to think of something that would expand that at all to it not just being like, woe is me. What do you like to complain about? Like, what are your pet peeves? Everything. I know we just talked about parades really but there's, briefly. I'm very, like, a very... I also hate. I hate parades. I hate parades. Everyone, yeah. No one likes a parade. Um, but no, but I feel like I, I always describe it as sort of like I walk through the world with like one eye open and one eye kind of cocked. And like if I go on vacation, like I was recently in Mexico City and like very adamant that like the people I was with, I'm like, let's fling ourselves down like, you know, within reason. Like I don't want to, you know, do anything too dangerous, but like let's go as much off the beaten path as we can and fling ourselves down a dark alley. And we did. And we found several dark alleys that were good for flinging. Um, <laughs> And then I just complain the entire time. <laughs> so it's like basically, I want to do this, and then I want to be miserable while I do it, and that's where I find my happiness. <laughs> that's like really what. And then you comes go home and write books. down all the details. And then I go home and write down. Yeah, and I think that is the tone that is like the most pervasive in the books. Is that it's actually they're kind of upbeat, but but sort of snarky at the same time. What were you doing in this alley in Mexico City? Not important. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so to to that end, and to like talking about Mexico, or you you went and you scaled a volcano, you did all yeah. sorts of things in this book. So 
My question is, you sort of look for these adventures knowing, hey, this is going to make a good story. Do you just sort of live your life? Like, how do these things, I mean, yeah. you know, you complained about a neighbor who was really loud. That wasn't something you probably sought out. Um, but no. some of these adventures, <laughs> you know, how does how does your mind work in terms of being like, you have to be collecting interesting stories, getting a parking ticket you said did not make the cut. So it can't just be things that are super mundane. Um, I'm not really collecting them that much. Like, I don't go through with like this sort of new um, kind of sensor on my head because I do this for a living. You know, I think it would make me a huge pain, honestly, to be around <laughs> um, if I just was doing things for the sake of the piece. Um, I mean, it does happen sometimes, but usually it's like halfway through an experience. There'll be some sort of moment that throws something into a kind of sharp relief. Yeah. I mean, one of the first essays I ever wrote, and it's in the first book, um, were I got locked out of two different apartments in the same day. I was moving apartments and the same locksmith came to bail me out eight hours later because it was the same neighborhood. And I had this doormat that said deja vu frontwards and backwards. <laughs> and you know, he's filling out the slip um, and he pointed with his pen. He goes, that's a funny doormat. <laughs> and I just knew, you know, I was like, okay, like this is now congealed in some kind of way. Um, so usually it happens like that. Um, but yes, I would obviously rather not have thrown up on a glacier. <laughs> Like, which is what happens. Do you want to tell book. everyone a little bit about? It'd be great if I didn't. No, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. No, I, I basically, um, a friend of mine, um, I was going for a piece to Quito, Ecuador, and I had some extra time, and I was like, what should I do? And I you know, tried to sort of crowdsource through you know, Facebook at the time. Yeah. Um, and you know, someone recommended a museum, someone recommended a sort of fun bar with good drinks, and someone said, oh, you should climb Cotopaxi. And I could not be bothered to Google it. <laughs> me. Um, and if I had, I definitely wouldn't have gone. It's huge. It's not like K2, but it's massive. Yeah. There's snow on top, a lot. Did you learn a lesson? Like, would you Google it next time? Like, if somebody recommended is that, something? Yeah, <laughs> this is just so leading for the environment. The lesson is Google, Google it. <laughs> we have tools for you. We do. We can make this stop. Although I wouldn't have gotten the essay. So. You wouldn't have gotten the essay, so yeah. maybe not Googling Don't anything. Don't Google it. scared to do anything exactly. that was... Um, and so when you have these experiences, mm. I mean, I have a really bad memory, so I would have to go home and just kind of scribble all the details. How do you, right. what's your process? Do you, you go and go, okay, I gotta, I gotta run home right now and I have to write down as much as I can possibly remember? Um, I mean, it depends on the essay. So for an essay like the one we're talking about, definitely I was sort of taking notes as it was happening. Yeah. I mean, there's another essay, um, in this book that's more of an interview format where I interview my uncle who was a, um, there's no really good way to say this, a massive porn star in the 70s. Um, he's awesome. He's great. And he got into um, pornography to find a girlfriend, yeah. which is what makes him sort of sweet and special. Um, and so I interviewed Uncle Johnny, uh, but I knew that's an example where I obviously knew I wasn't interviewing him for my health, you right. know what I mean? So I obviously knew it was for this. Um, but a lot of the essays are, are years. I mean, they're a lifetime in the making, right? Because you're trying to sort of get at some larger point that's been brewing for a really long time. And so, I mean, the thing to remember about them is that they're not being assigned to me. Right. So if you asked me to write an essay about, you know, what I wore yesterday, we'd be in trouble. Fair enough. You know? and, and from a journalistic standpoint, though, you do do a lot of interviews. Are those generally assigned? Or at this point, are you, do you say, you know what, I want to interview my uncle and maybe it's a better format for... right for that than it is for my short story. I mean, I am lucky in that I have to, oh, sorry, I interviewed. No, I was, um, how do you pick like where it should live? 
Yeah, well, I'm lucky that I have, it's like having multiple homes, right? It's like, does this go in the summer house? I don't know. You know, I, yeah. I mean, this could be journalism, this could be for a novel, this could be for, you know, essays, and I do a little bit of screenwriting, it could be for that. But it's, um, when we're, if you're talking, like I just interviewed Laura Dern for Vanity Fair. Awesome. Um, and it was wonderful, but that was assigned to me. I'm not deciding what goes on the cover of Vanity Fair. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, but. Not yet. Not yet. But, um, but there's, it depends. It's, it's really not a good answer. I guess it depends. Oh, that's a great answer because it is, I think the point is you do live in so many different worlds, which is really cool. And, um, and the fact that so many of these things can translate to, to different yeah, places and, and find different audiences. Well, it's also because sometimes you have to, even within the essays themselves, so there's like 16 essays in this book and they're structured slightly different than the last two books and the fact that these, they're sort of these um, like pellet cleanser, tiny, you know, three yes. pages between the massive essays. Um, and they're there for a reason because if I tried to make those stories or those um, points larger, it would like bloat and be a, crappy essay. And I love that, by the way, because sometimes you do need a palate cleanser. Sometimes you, because you finish a chapter and you go, oh, the next yeah. one's only a half a page. Like, yeah. hot, what a little, I like, like to give you a sense of accomplishment. So nice, you know? <laughs> so I think, you know, varying the um, the length is something we really appreciate, Good. actually. Especially after you've come off a really long one, you know, you need something. You need to, something. Um, a soft landing. You're, I think part of the reason people love you so much is that you're, she's beloved, is uh, is that you have a really, you have a talent for balancing humor with some more serious sorts of topics. It's a hard thing to do. I don't think people really understand how hard that is to do because being consistent in voice. Mm -hmm. um, so do you ever like go to these essays and think to yourself, okay, maybe I need to sort of balance it one way or the other, or how does that sort of, how do you make sure that tone is reading consistently? Oh, wow. Um, I was about to be I'm like, that's a good, clearly political, like filibustering. I'm like, well, I'm, it's a good question. I'm so happy <laughs> you asked it. Next. <laughs> I um, I, uh, this is also going to sound a little bit like, oh, this old thing, but um, the, the difficulty is in making things less jokey. Yeah. Like the, it is. Yeah. The difficulty is in actually not in like imbuing something with pathos or anything like that. I think that like most, you know, even though I'm not a stand up comedian, I am a comic writer you yep. would call me I guess and I you know most people of my ilk have some sort of like dark desperate sadness in their core do you have that um sure that's, 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 that's my next like question a, like a therapy couch it'll be great <laughs> I just lie down um but you know and so I think that like the idea of seeing like the sort of like almost catastrophist version of of any scenario is like really comes quite naturally to me I also do see things, you know, in a sort of, like, the way I talk about it is through a funny prism. But if it's too jokey, it right. can be a little, like, symbol-bashing monkey. Yeah. And nobody likes it. We really do not like people to try too hard with humor. It upsets people. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It's like, oh, you're trying too hard. And I'm like, okay, well. Um, and so it becomes distracting from the point of the essays. So that's, so if I have to balance, it's usually stripping jokes out. Interesting. Um... Do you ever go back and read some of the essays and it helps you sort of remember the experience? Like, is it sort of almost like a, can it be like a diary or is that um, therapeutic to go back and go, oh, that was my experience. I know two of the essays you read when you were here in 2008, one was Oregon Trail and yeah. the other was finding out that your mother mm. had been married before. Yeah, really casually. Really I was like 16, I, I found an extra a, ring in her jewelry box. I was like, I had a similar this? experience. So again, <laughs> talking to the universality. Really? Wow, things. okay. But yes, so, um, so 
does that like, do you ever go back and it helps you sort of remember them? Because again, maybe some of these things are clearer in the moment or the way that you put them, or do you go back and go, oh, well, maybe I've changed my perspective. What's that like to have this sort of collection? Um, the answer is going to not, it's not going to be good. Um, the answer is that it's the reverse. Because what happens is, is you, like anything, you don't have to be a writer for this, you get yeah. used to telling a version of a story. Yeah. And, you know, if you've ever been a part of a family meal, I'm sure there's <laughs> things get retold all the time. And, you know, you bring in someone new and they're like, wow, you're, you're really at a party in that time in high school, huh? <laughs> Your parents are really still obsessed with that. Um, and uh, it actually, it doesn't always do this, yeah. but it often will destroy the original memory. There's actually not a lot of tangential stuff I remember besides what I wrote after a while. Really? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> we want to know. But it's not even a bummer. It's just literally because, but that's why I'm careful with what I pick. And it's not because about exposure or like what I'm willing to sacrifice to this or anything that noble. It's just that um, I, I don't mind because I feel like when I wrote these essays, I really took my time with them and I thought, okay, I'm going to get, I'm going to squeeze every angle I can out of this one experience. So I don't think there's like a massive amount of stuff I'm missing. Right. But um, every once in a while I will forget like, like there's a lot of stuff that happened in Ecuador that I like vaguely remember before and after throwing up on the glacier. Were there essays in the book that took you a lot longer to complete than others? Yeah, definitely. Well, also it's, I mean, technically, you know, there are essays about childhood. So if we want to start the firing gun there, they've right. taken me 30 years. Yes. So I don't know how to, um, but then there, um, there's one about, there's a pretty big one towards the end about uh, the pressure for motherhood and fertility and, you know, freezing your eggs and should you have a kid and women judging other women and all that, those goodies. Um, and that took a long time to sort of percolate because I want it to be, usually it's a topic that I feel like has been heavily tack tackled by other people. And I also have something to say, mm -hmm. but I don't want to dwell on it and I want to get in and get out. So the last essay in How Did You Get This Number, which is the second book, is like the, really one of the only books I've ever written about men and relationships in this incredibly concentrated way. Because I thought, I don't write about this stuff. I'm just going to write the mother of all this kind of thing yes. and get out. Ooh, that was loud. Sorry. <laughs> Speaking of the fertility essay, yes. what do you think of um, egg freezing becoming sort of part of this zeitgeist? And did you mm -hmm. feel like that had been written about a lot and you wanted to bring your unique perspective and then obviously having a first-person perspective? Like, right. what do you think about all of this now as it becomes more and more popular? You know, I, I mean, I, I almost have no thoughts except for the fact that it's, it's a good idea and you should do it if you want to do it. I wouldn't say it's like a cure-all. What happened to me, I had no intention of you know, freezing my eggs became the um, locksmith pointing with the pen yeah. in a way um, because all of the stuff had been swirling around in my head for a long time, but I, I'd, I'd never, I didn't think I was going to write about it until um, I got a, I, a tremendous amount of them and broke like the hospital that's record. And that's lovely um, in some broke ways. Broke the hospital record. Yeah, and that I am a fish. But the issue is, <laughs> is that I had all these like complications and then what became interesting to me is how self-conscious I became even now repeating it, yeah. you know, outside of the page, um, that it sounds like the, like the worst, most obnoxious humble brag for people who are desperate to have children to say yeah. this, right? Um, and go through the expense and the, and the physical, um, sort of commitment yeah. to do it. And that's when I really thought about writing the essay because I was like, this is insane. It's arbitrary, it's math, I have no control over it, and yet I feel extremely judged for either 
what I do with this information. And so that was almost almost like an anger essay, you know, to be like, all right, everybody calm down. Well, it's a really unique perspective, <laughs> right? Because yes. usually all... And it's also really... Medical stuff is so fun to write about. Is it? I, oh, my God. It's so fun to talk about. I don't know. I'm probably, you know, like if we were friends, I'd like come home and be like, look at this thing. <laughs> What do you think it is? You know, and I, I just I, I I find that stuff really interesting. I find interactions with doctors very interesting because um, they can be so flat right. uh, because they see, um, you know, if you go to a specialist, especially when there's an essay where I talk about having this weird inner ear disease. Yep. And he's so uh, this doctor is so unimpressed by like how. I'm spinning and falling down and all this stuff. And I think, well, of course he's unimpressed. The last person who came in had probably had like their nose in their pocket. <laughs> you know, like, there's such a strange, I just find them so interesting to write about. I find the whole, all so medical you, stuff interesting. In some ways it's bittersweet when you have an ailment because- Oh my God, all... then I get to see some weird doctor yeah, with like, no know, social okay, skills well, and I can so play bad. him. <laughs> yeah. um, so you're a New Yorker. So yeah. that's exciting. So you talk a lot in the book about your experience as a New Yorker. I think we've talked a little bit about universality. Mm -hmm. um, what is it like to try to like bring that into your books, to always bring in like, you know, how you live, what, um, what living here is like, and trying to make that relatable? How does that process work for I think, you? I mean, maybe this is like, maybe I'm so far gone in like the sort of New Yorker solipsism thing. Yeah. But I just don't feel like, I mean, that is like the one effortless thing yeah. about all this because we live in a microcosm of the entire planet. Right. So like, there's also so much stuff. So it's, 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 that, it's that on one side and the fact that like, it's not like, I'm, I feel like it would be less relatable if I was in some sort of really sort of, you know, homogenous city. Um, but then the other side of that is that I just feel like we tend to flatter ourselves into thinking that there's like, you know, the only in New York kids kind of thing. That's not true. People like have incredibly awkward interactions with their boss in Minneapolis. They hate their neighbors in Kansas City. It, like it, it really- Not great ever. We're not else. like that special snowflakes, you know? It's just that there's a flurry. It's just that we're on top of each other so much. Um, and so I'm not saying there's not something very special to New York. It's obviously permeates the entire collection, but like, it's so funny. I never think of myself as like a New York writer the way like- Interesting. Let's say, I don't know, Joseph Mitchell was like a New York writer. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, we're glad you're in the neighborhood. Thanks. Um, I am. I live very close to here. Uh, <laughs> so another uh, chapter in the book, you were a guest star in Gossip Girl, yes. which I watched. Um, you say you weren't their first choice. No. Do you know who was yes. their first choice? Would you like to know? <laughs> you guys want to know? <laughs> yeah, there's this essay where I, uh, I just quit my job. I'm just setting it up a little bit. And they basically had, uh, they needed an author at a book party, um, at some sort of fancy book party. And their first choice was Fran Leibovitz. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, I'm not doing this. <laughs> and I took you. you. Oh, I had no hesitation whatsoever. Were you a fan of the show? Did you watch? Not even really. I just thought it would be so fun. And was it so fun? It was so fun. Yeah, it was really fun. It was also just, a, but it was a strange, but again, that's a good example though of something that would be just a cocktail party story. Hey, this thing I did once, that's a pretty right. good one, right? Absolutely. Um, if it weren't for the fact that I had just quit my job in publishing to write full time and I was playing a writer on the show and everybody treated me, frankly, like I was Fran Leibowitz. And it was so strange because I wasn't comfortable. I think I, the first people I told who said, you know, oh, what do you do or what are you doing? 
the first people I said the words I'm a writer to were probably like Blake Lively. Because <laughs> 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 you know, you're testing it out on a stranger almost. So that essay is really about identity because I was also playing myself. Yeah. So it becomes this bizarre sort of Russian doll. Did you have like a little bit of imposter syndrome where? Yes. Well, also because I was in the line as I'm introduced in a way that no one at any book party would ever be introduced, where um, you know an agent comes over to a group of the, the cast and it's, it's um, Chuck and his parents. And um, they say, this is Sloan Crosley. She's the best-selling author of I Was Told There'd Be Cake. And like I'm like, oh my God, how do I dispose of my own body? Like, <laughs> that's, uh, no one would ever say that. <laughs> um, and then I actually had to say a grammatically incorrect thing in response, which is of which I am still in search of. And, um, but I didn't want to correct them because I was a guest. <laughs> so I said this thing, and then I ran off, and that was really the extent of my acting Do you wish you would have cor corrected them now? Do you, you know what's funny? Like, now, what? now knowing a little more, having worked a little more um, you know, in Hollywood and knowing actors and, and knowing how fluid that is, really, um, yeah, I do wish I, you know, corrected them. But. What else are you doing in Hollywood? You mentioned you're doing Oh, no, I'm just, I'm doing, I have a couple pilots that are it's in exciting. the Exciting. It is, but it's also like, it, you know, with a book, you sign a contract and you know, yes. a book, it's like you can't be a little bit pregnant. A book comes out the other end. But you can be a little bit pregnant <laughs> in Hollywood. So so it's like I, um, Universal bought um, the rights to uh, The Clasp, which is a novel I wrote, and I wrote the screenplay for that. And honestly, all the stuff could lead nowhere, but it's it's fun, and frankly, it's it's lucrative, so it's nice. That's always nice. Yeah. To, yeah. And what there were rights for I Was Told There Would Be Cake? Yeah. They were. I mean, I don't think anything's going to happen with it. That book came out forever ago. And, and now it's also interesting. There's so much... You know, you sort of watch other things and other art forms sort of, um, I mean, not surpass it in like quality. I, I stand by the book, but like in theme, right? Like, and like, it's like, okay, we've heard of this kind of thing now. And so it's like a very pleasant on to the next experience. So being at Google, yes. one of the essays that I thought was most relevant, maybe you can guess which one it is, uh -oh. that um, was. Oh, yeah. I, was <laughs> what do you think it is? I think it's the domain name. Yeah, that's right. So <laughs> you had your domain name stolen on the. Mm. I mean, the web can be a very dark place. Yes. this is not Google's fault or anything involved. No. we're making these the world in a no better way. place. This in no way reflects. The um, but you went. You 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 had your domain name basically held hostage. Yes. And you decided to go meet this person. Yes. And to hunt him down and to confront him. It's my favorite dark alley. Yes. Well, apparently you like dark alleys. You just told us about Mexico too. What did you learn from that experience? Like, do you think the laws should change? Like, what what ended up happening? Where, like, this seems like such a bad thing that's happening to so many yeah. people. How do we make this better? There's almost no way. There's no way. Because what happens is, is if you let your domain name expire, um, which sort of happened to me. Well, this is embarrassing. Okay. So what happened was, is that um, I gave GoDaddy. So let's start there. Um, but that is, you know, okay. Um, they were my host or my registrar or whatever. And I mean, I, I started my website in like 2007, right? Mm -hmm. And so in 2007, my backup to my backup email address, so maybe this isn't totally horrible, was a Hotmail account. It was already on its way to like graveyard status <laughs> then. And then um, what happened was is when my domain name was going to expire, which I didn't realize, um, GoDaddy kept 
sort of knocking on the door of this abandoned house and saying, you know, it's going to expire. We're warning you. We're warning you. But I, you know, it didn't matter to me. I didn't live there. And so they're sending all these emails to Hotmail. I don't get them. All of a sudden, one day, my email stops working. And that's the other thing. My email is connected to it, which is why this happened. So basically, it turns out that someone has bought in the aftermarket, just like purgatory. It's like the afterlife. In the aftermarket, someone has bought um, at auction my website and has this algorithm that, you know, to me seems kind of nasty because like it's not just, he's not searching for traffic, which makes sense, but he's also searching for like the duration of ownership. So like I look like what I am, which is someone who's like lost like the family heirloom (laughs) back, right? So so this guy does this for a living. Um, His name is Wesley Perkins. I offered to change his name. He didn't want me to. Because he had a bit of really, oh yeah, he's a he's. I think he likes the attention, Um, and so I until um, they change the laws, and then he's going to be like the next. uh, And so a magazine actually sent me, and I flew over. I was like, I want. I took a screenshot, you know, when he owned my information. I wrote him a after I paid him a bunch of money to get it back, and I wrote him and I said, you know. You might remember me from such instances as five seconds ago when I paid you <laughs> a bunch of money. And I wanted to talk to him to figure out why he does this. And it was really interesting. It was like a really long conversation we had about morality and it ended up being a really interesting essay to write and one I definitely took notes on while it was happening. Awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about the cover? Yeah, the covers always are sort of tonal. Okay. Like I really find, I think there's something really graceful and beautiful and a little sad, but also a little funny about that bird because I'm not sure if it's dead. It's probably dead. <laughs> and it sort of sort of dovetails, if you'll pardon the pun, with the yeah. title. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's really that's really it. I mean, it's the same thing, and they're all like that. They're all a little weird, you know. I mean, yeah. I was told Derby Cake has a dirty floral mattress on it. Like, there's no cake on the. Which cover. is what you asked for. Kind of. You were like, I want a dirty. Yeah. I actually did ask mattress. them. It's funny. I am very happy with that cover. It's now become yeah. like really sort of um, connected to the title in a really great way because the book did well. But I, uh, I remember asking them at the time. I'm like, can we mess it up? Like, put some stains on it. Like, I wanted it worse. Because I think it's hard. <laughs> it's hard because these essays. You know, I mean, the clasp. It's very clear what the clasp. Yeah, is that one's about, more right? obvious. Because, but no. when you have this essay collection, you're first of all trying to title your essay collection, right? Yeah. And then figure out what visually represents it. And the title here, too, like, how did you sort of... Look, Alive Out There is, again, this because I, I always try to avoid... T- in fact, I have successfully avoided um, titling any of them one of the essays in the book. I just always think with short stories and essays, it puts a, a strange amount of pressure on that one piece. Right. So, yeah, there is a piece in the book that I think is, like, the best piece. There is? Yeah. Are you going to tell us which one you think it is? <laughs> yeah, it's Outside Voices. Outside Voices. It's about my neighbors. I go crazy. That's the one I like the best. And not like cute. Oh, that's cute. Like, <laughs> like, like, I, like illegal crazy. Please okay, buy the book. question. Next. <laughs> please. Yes, please. Hi. Hello. Uh, first of all, thanks for uh, taking the time uh, to come visit us. Uh, my question is, I was wondering, like, what is kind of your writing process, especially when you're uh, working through cases where the essay is, like, not coming out the way you expect or planned? Uh, like, how do you kind of work through that um, Um, Well, thank you for thanking me. You're welcome. Thank you guys for having me. Um, I think that I do skip around a little bit if I'm really stuck. I try not to do that in general. I'm not good at, like, you know, I think for fiction more maybe. I'll write, like, oh, okay, this chapter isn't working. I'm going to move on and start this other one and go back and, you know, fix it. Um, But essays are more, you know, one train of thought. Um, I mean... Generally, what I do is 
try to go in another door for the same topic. You know, I just feel like I try to rewrite the beginning a little bit. Um, and then if that doesn't work, I take a walk or a nap. I eat cheese. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Until you become unstuck. I mean, and if, if it's that stuck, then again, it's almost like the parking ticket conversation. Like, if it's that stuck, there was an essay that was supposed to go into this book about I jumped off a cliff in Australia. I'm not really, like, I don't know why. <laughs> but I, it, there was water. Um, but I, God. yeah, it's very important. Um, but it just didn't, it wasn't, it just didn't seem that special to me. It just didn't seem that funny or entertaining. I don't know, it's really hard to actually tell you what the litmus test is, but like very few, to- very few times do I just whole stop abandon something. It usually gets repurposed. Um, but I'm not above doing that. But mostly I rewrite the beginning. My question is, well, YouTube being what it is today, mm-hmm. um, the way people are entertained has changed a lot. Podcasts, YouTube videos. Has your process changed on evaluating the measurement of how people are going to be entertained by your work? Has that changed over maybe the last like five, ten years? Wow. Yeah, like am I sort of factoring in people's attention spans? <laughs> yeah, kind of. Um, I try not to. I'm sure I am, though. I'm sure I am because I'm like, I'm, I tweet, tweeted, twit. <laughs> um, and, you know, I've even made, you know, for the novel, I made a, a, a book trailer with, um, I mean, it was a full like trailer, like Amanda Seyfried was in it. It was nuts and her dog. Um, and like the, it had a whole premise, which is that like the dog has read the book and she hasn't and she's like a bad book club member. I don't know, it's weird. But it was, but I, but um, a friend of mine who directed it was like, no, we have to make it shorter, shorter, shorter. I'm like, it's like a minute and a half, you know? And it's, it's, I feel like I sort of straddle either like consciously or even generationally some sort of line where like, I understand your question. I know that it's a problem. I know that it's just different how people digest things. but I also tend to be like super old fashioned in my humor. Like I write about topics like, yes, like egg freezing and like, I don't know, drugs, but I, I tend to approach it from like kind of a, like a, I have an older fan base, you know, sometimes. So I just, I tend to try to avoid putting things into sound bites as is demonstrated by the length of my answer to your question. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Coming from publishing, I have two questions. You can like pick and choose maybe, but first, do you feel like you have like a catbird seat of what you need to have happen in order for your book to be successful? And also just like help, how do we fix publishing? Like, (laughs) do you have ideas for this dying industry that is so important for the world right now? Um, Well, it's not. Okay, so I do have a catbird seat, but not when it comes to the most important part, which is creating the book, um, writing the book, doing anything that could be construed as art. Um, that seat's dangerous to have anyway, even if I had it. You know, you don't want to think about like wh- if this will be successful for a certain reason, or maybe you do. I don't know. I mean, it depends. I, if you're like trying to follow some formula, you know, it's funny. I did an interview with the Guardian. I remember a few years ago. It was more than a few years ago. It was like ten. And they asked me if I was trying to identify a, market, a marketplace with essays. And I said, no, if I was trying to identify a marketplace, I'd write about Abraham Lincoln or vampires. <laughs> and this is before <laughs> the book came out. And so I'm like, wow, I really messed up. It's like the pull quote from that piece too. Um, but your question about uh, how do we fix publishing? Um, 
I don't think it's that broken any more than like the record industry is broken or any other industry is broken. I mean, there are like wonky things that shouldn't work that do work. It's like how bees aren't supposed to fly. Like they're not genetically, like physically, their bodies are too big for their wings. Like they shouldn't be able to fly, but they do. And similarly, for some reason, it makes sense to send an author on book tour. <laughs> um, but... Um, I mean, books, independent bookstores are doing extremely well right now. Um, you know, online is sort of a different problem. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it's really hard. I mean, when I first worked in book publishing, I had this rather sort of naive maybe idea that I was like, oh, it's so great because I know so many people are, who are incredibly intelligent, but they work in other industries and they don't read and I'm going to get them to read. Mm. And then I realized how hard it is to get people who do read to read. Mm -hmm. It's impossible <laughs> to just get them to buy the books. Um, so I don't know really what the answer is except for to continue to support the few literary breakout books that happen that aren't just crap and just hope that people think to themselves there's more where that came from. Thank you. <laughs> Hi. Um, I have a question. When you're writing nonfiction, to what extent do you like tell like the stripped down raw story and, and or like embellish it kind of like to like for the aspect of like the storytelling? Um, I mean, the, the, I sort of lean towards hyperbole and towards analogy. So obviously, you know, the first essay in this book, um, there's, I'm waiting on a street corner for a cab and there's a woman in a wheelchair and a guy standing um, next to her. And of course this cab comes with like, the sliding doors, and I'm like, okay, even though I was here first, I'm like, you guys obviously take it. And uh, they're like, thanks so much. And the guy like leans down the wheelchair and kisses the woman and hops in the cab, and then she wheels off. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, holy shit. Sorry. Um, and like, and I said, you know, in the, I have a line where I say, obviously, this is the worst person to have ever lived. Probably not. Um, <laughs> I mean, number eight, maybe. Um, but I just feel like, I guess, uh, so in that sense, very much so, it's my style, right? Um, but in terms of telling the truth, uh, I am really close to the hole, which is a golf term I don't own. Um, but, but you know, I, mean, I get as close as I, as I possibly can because I feel like I don't know why people are doing this otherwise. And I'm not trying to like, you know, completely like, you know, sort of, abstractly shading um, a lot of people right now. But I, yeah, this is the truth of what happened. And if it's only for um, technical reasons, that things tend to get shifted. So the essay I said I really liked about my neighbors who are these sort of hellions, um, that's probably the biggest lie in the book because that essay is in the past tense and I still live in that apartment. Um, <laughs> but they graduated and right. they did not go to NYU, I don't think. Um, but I just, but the point is, is that I, I do it because I feel like I, when I have to, there's embellishments in that way. Um, but otherwise, it's pretty close to what happened. Thank you. Thanks. Any last questions? I have a few. Oh, we have one. Uh, I was just wondering uh, if I understood right. You said you were um, like adapting the clasp for um, for television and whatnot. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the kind of. Um, Screenwriting and about like adapting your kind of own work for oh, that, yeah. like, different medium. Um, yeah, so basically it's for um, film. Um, and 
It's weird because at first it's unpleasant because obviously these came out as essays for a reason. Like I don't write poetry, I don't write songs. You wouldn't want to see them. <laughs> and um, but so at first it felt kind of weird. Like haven't I already done this? And I'm like not a great actress. I'm like I already delivered it once. I can't just do it again, you know. Um, and then what happened was I got to restructure and honestly fix everything that I felt was wrong in the novel. So. If for that reason only, I kind of hope it gets made one day, just because um, it's like an apology to myself for not fixing that to begin with. Yeah. You mentioned somewhere that you want people, when they're reading your book, to feel like they'd found their other old man Muppet. Yes. You know what I'm talking about? Still my, what are their names? I'm, this is horrible that I don't know oh, their it's, name. Um, Something is Statler. Statler and Waldorf. I love this crowd. Yeah, Statler and Waldorf. Is that, so that's how you, what were you saying? Tell us what you. Oh, well, that's stuck in the middle with you feeling, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is you want to read essays, especially if they're like personal or they're narrative yeah. and connect to them and think, not necessarily that you want to like curl up with the author, um, but that you're facing the same direction. You know, you've got the bar seats, not the table, where you're just sort of facing the same direction. And then, you know, that feeling you have with someone, whether it's a, a friend, or, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, partner, where you, like, meet eyes across a table when someone sends something ridiculous at a large dinner and you almost can't look at them because you'll lose it. And, like, that's the goal for the essays. So does that make, so people read your book probably want, feel like they're already your friend. They already, you said before, you know, people know so much about you and it's an uneven playing field. It is an uneven field. playing field, yeah. But that is part of your charm, right? Is that people think, oh, we're friends. I read all of our books. I know all of these things. It does happen like that, I will say, since we're sort of wrapping up. Yeah. Um, just a, there's another version of that, <laughs> which is I once I was once on the subway. So I'll end with like a New York story. I have a prop. This is so good. <laughs> I was on the subway and this woman was reading my second book and she was sitting directly across from me, and you know not on an e-reader, so I could actually see what she's reading. E-readers have spoiled half the spying in New York, you know, and judging. Um, but she was doing this and she seemed totally just really ensorcelled by the language and I was like this is so cool like do I say anything what do I do and she does one of these and she goes <sighs> like the check of the binding to see how much longer she has to slug through it and I was like then I felt really like this is going to be really awkward if she recognizes me and wants to talk to me about so it. So you scurried away? So I scurried away. It was that or Tripper. <laughs> <laughs> I scurried away. And my last question is, what's next? I mean, you've obviously, you're very prolific. You're doing a lot of things, but, um, and it takes a lot of time, obviously. Probably your next essay collection we won't see for a while because you have to build up these stories. Yes. Right? True. Just, so read this one and read it slowly. <laughs> <It's> now. <laughs> um, uh, but what's next? What can we expect to see from you? Um, probably a novel, if it ever gets done. Okay. Um, and but honestly, at the rate the novel's going, maybe the essays, a so book. Go it's not going to be like a book. diorama that I come up, you know, or a puppet show. Like it'll definitely be a book. It'll be a book. Oh yeah, it's a book, guys. It'll front to back, bound, well, little thank price. Thank you, thank you so <laughs> thank so you. much for being here, thank everyone. You and thank you for your questions. Please go out, buy and read. Look alive out there. It's great. And let's thank Sloan one more time for thank being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's so nice. Thanks for listening. If you have any feedback about this or any other episode, we'd love to hear from you. You can visit g.co slash talks at Google slash podcast feedback to leave your comments. And to discover more amazing content, you can always find us at youtube.com slash talks at Google.
or through our Twitter handle at Google Talks. Thanks for listening. Talk soon.